Great. Um, it's great to see you. Um, my name's John T, and we're going to turn to John chapter 14. But, uh, John chapter 16, in fact. <laughs> um, but before I read the passage, um, I just want to ask you a question. We were singing a song earlier that had the line in it, um, I swore I knew the way on my own, a head full of rocks, a heart full of stone, but spirit, you moved in me. On my sleeping spirit, on my sleeping soul, your, the spirit has awakened. So here's, here's my question. As you sing a song like that, as you hear a phrase like that, here's my question. Has the spirit moved in you? Has the spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, has he moved in you? And you may go, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. See, if I ask you the question, do you believe in Jesus? We may say, yeah, I kind of, okay, perhaps if you've been around church a bit, you might know that and you might be aware of that. But what about this language of the spirit? and the Spirit moving on us, and the Spirit at work in us. Do you know the Spirit at work in you? Because this afternoon, we're going to listen to Jesus, literally the very words of Jesus, teaching us who and what the Spirit of God does. And so if you've ever been confused a little bit about the Spirit, and you think, I don't know about this Spirit thing, well, this afternoon, why don't you listen to Jesus and let him teach you? And we're just going to take it straight. I just want to show you what Jesus says about the Spirit so that we would understand and not just understand because my deep prayer is that you'd see how much you need the Spirit of God to work in you and through you and transform you. And we're going to see what Jesus says. So I'd love you to turn, if you've got a Bible, to John. We're actually going to start at the very end of John 15. John 15, 26. And you'll see it's headed in the Bible, helpfully, the work of the Holy Spirit. So that really is, you know, someone else agrees that that is what this passage is about. So it's not just me. So have a look at verse 26. When the advocate comes, that's the name that Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit here. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They'll put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they've not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people who do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. 
That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So let's, let's just rem- remember where we are, okay? It's the night before Jesus goes to die on a cross. Jesus is telling his disciples he's about to leave. He's about to die, rise again, return to his father, and they are going to be left. He's leaving them. And he's equipping his disciples, this great big long sermon that we're taking a whole term to go through. He's equipping his disciples to say to them, this is what you need to know when I'm gone. And today, the big emphasis is on this precious gift that Jesus is going to give. I'm not going to leave you on your own. I'm going to send the Spirit. And three times in this passage, Jesus says, when he comes, this is what he'll do. Three different things we're told the Spirit will do. So let's let's just pick those out. This is This is how I would write a sermon. I look at the text and I read it again and again and I look for things that are there. And three times it says, when he comes, he will do this. So let me show you those three things and then we're going to think about each of those three things. Those will be my three points. That's how preaching works. Except that I have to warn you that in the first service, I only managed to do two of those three points because we went a little bit over. And in order for this two-service thing to work, I'm going to have to do two points this service as well because if I do three points of this next week, it's all going to go haywire. Anyway, so we're going to do two points of three-point sermon, and the third point will be next week. So this is one sermon split over two weeks. I hope you're following this. Here's the three things. So have a look at verse 26. When the advocate comes, and then Jesus says some stuff about the advocate. We'll come back to that. When he comes, he will testify about me. That's verse 26. So the first thing we're told about the Spirit, this advocate, when he comes, he will testify. So the first great work of the Spirit is a testifying work. Got it? Testifying. Here's the second one. It comes in verse um, 8. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. It's a slightly funny phrase, that, not it? He will prove the world to be wrong. It sounds like... That doesn't sound very. That sounds a bit kind of um, like, yeah, yeah, no, no, you were wrong. You know that moment when you have an argument with someone and you get Google on your phone and you go, yes, you were wrong and I was right. That great feeling of vindication. That's not quite what's going on. It's more the idea of he will convict, he will expose, he will prosecute. So the second great work of the Spirit is to convict the world of where it's wrong, to show where we've got it wrong. So testifying, convicting, and the third one comes in verse um, 13. When he comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So the third great ministry of the Spirit will be a guiding into all the truth. Okay, can you see that those are the three things Jesus says the Spirit is going to do, right? Testifying, convicting, guiding. We're going to do the first two this week. We'll do the the third one next week, and that will give us a bit of space to do some more stuff on the Spirit. Uh, um, and understanding the Spirit next week. So let's take the first two. Let's, let's go for testifying. Let's think about um, this idea of testifying. Jesus calls the Spirit the advocate, which already is a strange word. It, it translates the Greek word paraclete. And, and it really ha- it does have a sort of legal overtone to it. He's the one who will come alongside and will speak, and will speak truth. You see, there's people, um, all the time you're listening to voices, 
right? Voices are speaking at you all the time. Every time you, you go on a website, every time you turn on the news, every time you're listening to people, people are speaking truth or claiming that they're speaking truth to you. And the voices that you listen to, you have to work out, is this good testimony? Is this true? Or is this fake news? False. You see, and it really matters, doesn't it, that the voices that we listen to are true. Testify what is true. And in order to d- decide that, when you think about how you decide, I guess there's three things that you're bothered about when you're trying to work out, here's something on the BBC, uh, and trying to work out if it's true or not. Firstly, you want to know about the integrity of the person doing the testifying. Are they the sort of person who has a track record for lying? You know, if they're a serial liar, you're unlikely to believe their testimony, right? So someone that you're going to trust needs to have integrity. Well, allow me to introduce you to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who Jesus says in verse 26, is the spirit of truth. That means that the Spirit, it's not just that he sometimes speaks truth. It's not that he sometimes, it's not even that he always speaks truth. It is that he is truth. That's who he is. His very nature is true. Now, of course, that makes sense because he's the Spirit that Jesus is sending. And Jesus has already said, I am the truth. And that means that when you listen to the testimony of the Spirit, you are listening to a testimony that is always true. The Holy Spirit of God will never, ever lie to you. He can't lie to you because he's the Spirit of truth. Every word that he says is true. Imagine if you had a a friend or someone who you knew always, who would only ever speak the truth. You'd really trust them, wouldn't you? You'd listen to what they said. Well, here is the voice that only speaks truth into your life. I think that makes the Holy Spirit a very precious gift. One who will always speak truth to you. Because he's the spirit of truth. But it's not just the integrity of the character. You also want to know the source. Where are they coming from? Because you see, if someone's, you discover that someone's um, got loads of shares in a big oil company, and then suddenly they come on the website and they say, we've discovered that actually burning carbon is, is fine. Fossil fuels are fine. Everything's fine. You'd look at the source from where they're coming from and you'd say, ah, I, I wonder. <laughs> I wonder whether maybe you have an agenda here. So, okay, so what's the source of this spirit then? This one who will come and testify, this one who will speak and witness. What's his source? Well, Jesus says, I will send him to you from the Father. The spirit of truth who goes out from the Father. So twice we're told that the spirit of truth, you can trace him back to the heart of the Father himself. So God the Father is the source of this spirit of truth. 
Which means if you want to know what God the Father says, you need to listen to his spirit of truth that he sends. Because that's where the spirit comes from. Again, that makes sense, right? Because that's the same that we've seen about Jesus over and over again in John's gospel. Jesus is the son who's sent from the father. Jesus comes from the father. He's sent by the father. He speaks from the father. Jesus comes from the father. If you want to know what the father's like, you look at the son. And now Jesus says, now I'm going to send another advocate, one who will speak, and he will, too will be from the Father. And so the Spirit comes direct from the heart of the Father to speak the Father's truth into your life. Are you beginning to see why the Spirit might be really, really precious? He always speaks the truth straight from the heart of the Father. And the third thing you want to know about a good witness, a good testifier, what are they testifying about? What is the content of their testimony? Well, Jesus says, this spirit of truth from the Father, he will testify about me. Jesus says, this spirit will come and testify about me. And again, this is what makes him reliable. You see, if someone's testimony is all about themselves, if they just want to point at themselves and say, look at me, look at me, look at me, that testimony is not valid. Jesus said that earlier in John's Gospel. So there was a world leader, let's not name names, but anyway, there was a world leader um, a few years ago who claimed, I can't remember the exact details, but he claimed he'd played a round of golf and he'd got at least seven holes in one on this round of golf. And he told his nation that he'd got seven holes in one on one round of golf. That strikes me as unreliable. And the question you really want to know is, did anyone else see? Was anyone with you? Anyone going to back that up? Because to testify about yourself and someone who speaks about themselves and someone who always points to themselves is not a reliable witness, which is why Jesus throughout his ministry kept pointing to the Father. Look at the Father, look at the Father. And then when the Spirit comes, the Spirit testifies about the Son and says, look at the Son, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. You see, the Spirit of God points away from himself. This is classically being described by loads and loads of preachers. This is not original, it's not even vaguely original. I've nicked this from someone who nicked it from someone else, who probably nicked it from J.I. Packer, who probably nicked it from someone else. But some people talk of the Holy Spirit as having what you might call a spotlight ministry. He points away from himself and shines on Jesus. So imagine a spotlight. Here's a spotlight, and there's a beautiful castle, and you, you shine the spotlight on the castle so that people look at the castle. It'd be weird to gather around the spotlight and go, oh, what, what a beautiful spotlight. This is the greatest spotlight that's ever been made. He says, no, it's weird. You're not supposed to look at the spotlight. You're supposed to look at where the spotlight is pointing. And the spotlight is bringing glory to the castle. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit shines the light on Jesus and testifies about him. And so here is the Spirit who is the Spirit of truth who comes from the heart of the Father so that you can know Christ. That's who he is. That's what the Spirit does. That's what the Spirit does in Jesus' own words. At which point you might say, how do you do that? What does that look like? Do I sit in a room and go, Holy Spirit, are you there? Could you testify to me now? 
No, actually, verse 27 gives us a clue as to how this works. So here's Jesus with his little motley band of 11. There's only 11 of them left. They don't look very impressive. And Jesus says to the... He's, <laughs> it's quite funny. You've got to, I mean, it must have been so hard for the disciples. He's just said the spirit of truth from the heart of the Father, testifying about Christ. And then he turns to his disciples and says, and you also must testify. <laughs> For you've been with me from the beginning. You go, hang on a second. Why do the 11 apostles who've been with Jesus from the beginning, why do they have to testify? Well, because that's how the ministry of the Spirit works. You see, how is it that the Spirit of truth from the heart of the Father that points to Christ, how is it that he testifies to the world? Well, what he does is he fills these apostles who've been with Jesus from the beginning so that they might testify. And the Spirit's testimony and the apostles' testimony is a double testifying, which is how Jesus is proclaimed to the world. And so the Spirit has a track record of doing this. This is what the Spirit does. This is how God normally speaks. In our world, this is how God normally speaks. It's not to say he can't speak in other ways. There was a time when he took a donkey and he spoke through a donkey. So let's let God be God. He can speak in all sorts of ways. But his normal way of speaking is to take a human being, to fill them with his Spirit, and then speak out that to the world. If you want to kind of think about this, um, here's an illustration to help you. Um, We used to have this brilliant little dragon. It wasn't real, obviously, because dragons aren't real. But it was inflatable. And um, it was a great little inflatable dragon because it sprayed water out of its mouth. I understand that fire would be better, but water was all we could manage, and it was far safer for the kids. So we had this dragon, and it sprayed water out of its mouth. But before it could spray water out of its mouth, you first had to attach a hose to its um, backside. And you had to attach a hose. That, and that's, that's how God speaks. Got it? <laughs> so um, <laughs> what I mean is, you see, there were the prophets. Take someone like Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet who spoke God's word. He sprayed God's word over the people of God. But before he could speak, he first had to be filled by the Spirit. Don't push the illustration too far. He first had to be filled with the Spirit. And as he's filled with the Spirit, the Spirit that comes from the heart of the Father, the Spirit of truth, fills him and he sprays out. So what would you expect him to spray out? I would expect him to spray out testimony about Jesus. Because that's what the Spirit does. And so Isaiah writes things like, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and before his shearers was silent. He testifies to Christ. It was 700 years before Jesus was even born. And yet here is the spirit of truth in the heart of the Father testifying about Christ through Isaiah. And it wasn't just Isaiah. It was Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Joel and Amos and Obadiah. He only got a page. You know, a little bit of spray. (laughs) But even that, get it written down. This is the word of God. This is how it works. God speaks. He fills his prophets so that they would speak. And then Jesus turns to his little 11 disciples to the left and he says, and now it's your turn, apostles. You're now going to be my prophets. You see, the Old Testament prophets of God are now going to be 
followed by the apostles of God who are going to be filled with the Spirit so that they can testify. And boy, they're going to need the Spirit because this bunch aren't going to last five minutes without Jesus. (laughs) How on earth are these 11 disciples going to start a worldwide movement which is going to change the course of history? How, How are those 11 ever going to do that? Only if the Spirit of God fills them so their testimony becomes so powerful that it changes the world. And they're going to need the Spirit because look at verse chapter 16, verse 1. All this I've told you so that you will not fall away. I mean, these guys, their biggest danger is they're going to fall away. They're going to turn away from Jesus. They're going to face such suffering. They're going to put you out of the synagogue. There's going to be people who want to kill you. In fact, when they come to kill you, they'll think that they're serving God by killing you. They'll do these things because they've not known the Father or me. Jesus says, I've told you, 11 disciples, so that when it gets hard, you'll remember. I warned you about this. I didn't have to tell you when I was here because when I was here, you... You had me with you, but now that I'm going, you need to know the Spirit will come and will empower your testimony. And it's not just that they're in danger of falling away. It's also that they haven't got a clue yet, really, what's going on. (laughs) So I love verse 5. Jesus says, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. Now, At this point around the meal table, I imagine the disciples, their heads are spinning. And Jesus says, none of you ask, where are you going? You can imagine them kind of looking at each other going, didn't didn't one of us ask Jesus where he was going? I'm sure we asked Jesus where he was going. They're so confused. Because they have asked Jesus where he's going. In fact, back back in chapter 13, I can prove it to you. It's almost like John made sure he put this in to say, look, we're not going mad. We did ask him. Back in chapter 13, verse 36, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? So Peter's going, I did ask you. I I I literally asked you that question. You can imagine Peter going, do I say something? Do I, you know, do I point it out, or do I, does that sound like a bit smart, Alec? I've been wrong enough times in the past. Why does Jesus say, none of you ask me where are you going, when they have asked him where he's going? Well, I think the reason becomes clear when you understand why, Jesus, why Peter said, where are you going, back in chapter 13, and why Thomas said, We don't know where you're going. How can you know the way? Because all the way through, they're still thinking about themselves. Peter at this point is not thinking about the grand plan that Jesus is fulfilling. He's not saying, Jesus, where are you going? What's the plan? How's this going to work? He's not asking the questions he should be asking. Instead, he's saying, I want to come. Where are you going? I want to come. And Jesus says, you're not thinking clearly. You're not asking the right questions. You may say the words, where are you going? But you're not thinking clearly. In fact, chapter 16, Jesus says to them, instead, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. You shouldn't be grieving. 
This is part of the plan. There's this grand plan that I am going to die on a cross and rise and return to my father. This is the plan and you're just obsessed about your own little concerns. And where are you going? Can I come? Can I come? Can I come? Jesus says, you're not asking the right questions. You should be asking, where are you going? Not, where are you going? Get it? (laughs) Jesus sees the heart behind their question and that's, I think, why he says... You're not asking right. You're not thinking straight. And it just reminds you again that if these 11 have any hope of changing the world, they're going to need the spirit of truth from the heart of the Father to testify about Christ. You see, the reality is it is good. It is for your good I'm going away, Jesus says. Because unless I go, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You see, the apostles, these 11, they just want Jesus to stay with them. Can you just stay, Jesus? Can't we just have a nice time? We're having fun. This is good. Why can't we just stay together? Jesus says, no, you don't understand. There's the plan. There is a huge, monumental, historic, world-changing plan that I am enacting. I'm going to die on a cross to save the world. I'm going to rise again to be proclaimed king of the universe. I'm going to ascend to my father's right hand and I'm going to rule over all history. And at that point, I will pour out my spirit and inaugurate the new era, the new world order when my church will be born and the message of Jesus will go to the ends of the earth. And you don't have a clue about any of that because all you care about is, can you stay with us? (laughs) You see that that's what's going on. Jesus says there's so much more going on. And you're going to need the Spirit to testify to you. But you know what? The Spirit does come. And he does take those 11 disciples and he fills them with power so that they then begin to testify about Jesus. And if you want to hear today the testimony of the Spirit, if you want the testimony, the Spirit to testify to you today, then you take this word, this Spirit-inspired word, which the apostles, by the power of the Spirit, have sprayed out to the world, and you read it, and you drink it deep, and you listen to it. And don't you dare think that this is some dead book, that this is somehow boring, that this is somehow, oh, I've got to read the Bible. Actually, when you open the pages of the Bible, your heart should be crying out, Spirit of God, Spirit of truth, from the heart of the Father, show me Christ. Testify to me about Christ. Shine, Holy Spirit, shine into my life. Move in me. Show me Jesus. And that's how he testifies. And let me say to you, if you've ever experienced anything of that, any of that wonder of Christ, That's the Spirit at work in you. The Spirit's at work in you. That's his testifying work. Let's very quickly see his convicting work. This is why I didn't get to my third point earlier. His convicting work. Look at verse 8. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. He's going to come and he's going to show people that they're wrong. He's going to expose us. Now, this is important. Ooh, the kettle's boiling. Um, This is important because I think that... um, 
Often we think, if I have an experience of the Spirit, if I have an encounter with the Spirit, it will make me feel happy, joyful. Yay, the Spirit's done something in my heart. And we'll feel light and fluffy and warm and wonderful. And Jesus says, literally, Jesus says in his own words, one of the key works of the Spirit will be to convict you of sin. (laughs) That is to make you see that you're not right before him. It's one of the things the Spirit does. When I was um, a young preacher, I had a, a guy who was training me, and he used to give me feedback on my sermons, and he was very kind and very lovely and very honest. And um, one time I was preaching a sermon, and in an effort to be gentle and kind, because I didn't want to be unkind to people, um, I, was, I was preaching about prayer, and I wanted to make the point about the prayer meeting. And I was saying to, you know, I wanted to say, um, look, when was the last time you came to the prayer meeting? Did you come to the prayer meeting? When was the last time you came? But I found myself feeling, as I preached that, I found myself thinking, Oh, man, that feels a bit in your face. So I softened it with a simple little phrase. Look, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but when was the last time you came to the prayer meeting? And I thought to myself, oh, that sounds better. Much nicer. Well done, me. Well done. And then Johnny, at the end of the sermon, said to me, don't ever say that again. And I was like, I was thinking back through my sermon, thinking, well, what, what, did, I, what did I say? And he said, don't ever say, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I said, why? He said, because one of the things the Spirit does, as the Word of God is preached, is convict people of sin. So if people are feeling guilty, it might be the Spirit of God at work in their lives. And you're saying, don't feel feel guilty. Which could be the fact... Don't get me wrong, preachers can do it wrong, right? Preachers can absolutely try and make people feel guilty in a wrong way. But actually, you've got to understand that part of the work of the Spirit is to show people that they're wrong about sin. That's why the Spirit comes. He comes to prove the world to be in the wrong about sin. You know, our world has such a trivial view of sin. It thinks that sin is no big deal. It thinks that sin is like naughty things that I do. It thinks that sin is something that I can say, oops, I did it again, to quote a great moral philosopher of our age. Oops, I made a mistake. I messed up. Never mind. And the Spirit comes and he says, no, sin is far more serious than that. You see, sin at its heart is not the naughty things you do. Sin is a heart that is against God. Sin is a heart that when God, the God of this universe, would send his son, he sends his son into this world as an act of sheer love and beauty and kindness. And Jesus comes into this world. He dies on a cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be washed clean, so that we could be given life forevermore. Jesus comes into this world, and if we say to him, no, I don't want that. Do you not see? That's the most serious thing. That's not a trivial thing. That is to declare yourself an enemy of God. And sin is serious, and only the Spirit will show you that. 
I can't persuade you that sin is serious. You will not believe me. The only way you will ever understand how serious sin is is if the Spirit of God comes and shows you. And if you know, if you've ever experienced a sense of guilt, a sense of shame, a sense of failure before God, not a wrong guilt, I'm not talking about that, but a guilt that drives you to Jesus, that's the Spirit of God. Yes, the Spirit has moved in you. The Spirit of truth from the heart of the Father showing you what sin is. And then as he shows you what sin is, he drives you to Christ and says, but don't panic. There's Jesus. There's Jesus. You see, he convicts the world of sin and he convicts the world of righteousness. Jesus says, I convict the world of righteousness. He convicts the world of righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. So again, this is how righteousness works. In our world, righteousness is all about comparing yourself with others. You find someone else, you compare yourself to them, and you just choose wisely. As long as you can pay yourself to the right person, you can pat yourself on the back and say, you're right. So I look at Johnny, I say, I'm all right. Pat myself on the back, say, I'm doing okay. This is all right. Just be careful not to look at people who are better than you. It's just finding the people who are worse than you. And we play this game all the time. I'm joking, Johnny. (laughs) We play this game all the time, right? We compare ourselves and we, we, we feel bad when someone's better than us and we feel good when someone's worse than us. But actually, the only one you should compare yourself is Jesus. Jesus is the standard of righteousness. You compare yourself to Jesus. And as soon as you compare yourself to Jesus, you say, I fall well short. I'm nowhere near the standard I should be. But here's the problem. How can I compare myself to Jesus if Jesus is leaving the world? Ah, Jesus says, well, I'll send my spirit, the spirit of truth from the heart of the Father who will testify about me. I'm going to the Father, but because the spirit comes and testifies about Jesus, you can still compare yourself to Jesus. You can read of him. You can read of his righteousness. And you can see how far short you fall. And when you compare yourself to Jesus and see that you are not righteous, What does the Spirit then do? He says, ah, don't worry. Let me tell you about Jesus, the one who gives you righteousness, the one who died to make you righteous. This is what the Spirit's doing. And he convicts the world about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Most people in our world think that sin doesn't really matter because there's no consequences to sin. Right from the very first moment, right back in the beginning, God's enemy said to the first man and woman, you will not die. You can sin and you will not die. You can sin and there will be no consequence. Chill out. And that is how humanity has lived our lives. I can sin and there's no consequence. There's no judgment. I can do what I want. I can get away with it. Most people think they can live their lives and there is no accounting for what they have done. And then the Spirit comes and he convicts the worlds of judgment and he says there is a judgment. In fact, the prince of this world, the very one who in the beginning said you can sin and not die, he already stands condemned. As Jesus goes to die on a cross, he is going to be victorious over God's enemy and the enemy will be punished for all eternity. There is a judgment. But London will never believe that unless the Spirit of God shows them. I can't convince my friends of that. Sometimes I even find it hard to convince myself of that. That's why we need the Spirit. 
And so here is this beautiful ministry of the Spirit that Jesus talks of. A ministry of testifying about Christ and of convicting us of sin. And these two things go so beautifully together because as I'm convicted of sin, as the Spirit shows me where I'm wrong, he then proclaims the very solution that I need in Christ and points me to Jesus and testifies about him. So I want to say to you this afternoon, if you want to experience the Spirit of God in your life, if you want to know more of his ministry, ask him to show you Christ. Ask him to show you where you're wrong. Pray to him and say, Holy Spirit, would you expose, would you show where I treat sin too lightly? Show me where I compare myself to others and fail to compare myself to Christ. Show me where I act as if there's no consequences. Holy Spirit, show me where I'm wrong and then show me Christ. And the spirit of truth from the heart of the Father will testify of Christ and he will never lie to you. He will never lie to you. You see, the Spirit's convicting is not like the convicting of the world that leads to a place of shame and despair. The Spirit's convicting is the convicting that leads you to Christ and to freedom and to joy. That's how you know it's the Spirit. The Spirit will never leave you ashamed. He will always take you to Christ. But he'll take you there by showing you where you're wrong. So that we need to wrap all this up and we need to finish. This is what the Spirit's work looks like. He does lots of other things in the life of the Christian. But when Jesus is about to die on the cross, this is what he says. This is what my Spirit does. The Holy Spirit's at work. Let's be a church. Let's be people who are hungry for the Spirit. To hear the Spirit testify to us of the reality of Christ. And then to go to this world and even perhaps allow the Spirit to speak through us to this world that needs Christ. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Let's pray and then we're going to finish. Father, we praise you. Praise you for this precious, extraordinary gift that you have given. We praise you for the Spirit of truth who comes from your very heart to testify about Christ. Praise you for this Spirit who would convict us rather than just leave us and make us feel like everything's okay. Instead, your spirit comes and he shows us where we're wrong so that we see Christ more clearly. Lord, we praise you for your work. Holy Spirit, we ask you to be at work in each one of us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.